Let's pray together. Dear God, what should we be sold out for? These few moments we have in your word, please make it clear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. James Sirickey, in his book, The Wisdom of Crowds, reports on some fascinating research about the power of conformity. What they did was they set up a group of college students, groups, plural, of college students, seven to, eight, seven to nine college students in each group. Everybody in the group, all the students in the group, are in on the experiment except for one student. That student is the, is the subject of the research. All right, so simple little task for the group. They say, okay, tell us the answer to this. They held up a card with three lines, and then they put another card up right beside it. They said, okay, this line is, matches which line in these three? And, of course, everybody got it. They did the next set and the next set and the next set. And then, as if on cue, the students began to choose the wrong answer, purposely choosing the wrong answer. So the subject student is having to now rethink. Not surprisingly, and I'm quoting uh, Sir Wiki here, not surprisingly, 70% of the subjects change their real opinion at least once. Well, I was going to say that, but yeah, you're right. It's this, it's this one. And a third of the subjects went along with the group at least half of the time. They're all wrong answers, but half of the time they went along with the group. But the real shocker came when one of the in-students changed and bucked the crowd and went ahead and picked the correct matching line. And as it were, in that moment, the subject realizes... He, she has an ally. Quoting Sirikki again, that was enough, that one change, that was enough to make a huge difference. Having even one other person in the group who felt as they did made the subjects happy to announce their thoughts and the rate of conformity plummeted. Suddenly, with just one more, you're willing to stand alone. Now, he doesn't call it this, but let's call it the power of two. You think about it. All it takes is one other person to agree with you, and you will find the courage to stand up no matter how many others disagree. Or if you want to put it the other way, all it takes is for one student, one person to step out of the crowd and take a stand for what he or she believes is the right answer, and someone else in that crowd suddenly finds new courage to take the same stand. The power of two. Could that have anything to do with an invention of God? I'd like to suggest it does. In fact, grab your, your new uh, worship study guide. It's in your, in your bulletin. Thank you, ushers, for making sure that everybody uh, gets a study guide on this one. This, this is a fascinating teaching. You're going to love it. Uh, ushers, if you would just kindly uh, slip down the aisles. Thank you. And uh, hold your hand up if you didn't get a study guide. I want to make sure you get this. And those of you who are watching right now on live streaming, television, wherever, we're delighted to have you. Let me put our website on the screen. You get the same study guide. Put it on the screen. There it is. You see it, www.pmchurch.tv. That's our website. You're looking for a, a brand-new mini-series, a little three-parter, sold out, all caps, sold out. This is part one. When you find part one, click on to uh, the words study guide. You'll have the same study guide we do. Let's go. Do you suppose God invented this for the power of two? Jot that down, will you, please? Let's call this, and you have the quotations from Sir Wiki. Let's call this the power of two. What if it turns out God invented the church because of the power of two? 
Once upon a time, Jesus was teaching about conflict management, but in the middle of his teaching, something very profound about the church and the power of two is said. I want you to hear Jesus now. Pull your Bible out. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, you didn't bring, uh, you got your tablet, you got your phone, didn't bring anything. Grab the Pew Bible in front of you. I'm in the uh, New International Version today, uh, Matthew chapter 18. Fascinating. Come on. Oh, hang in there. Watch this. This is Matthew chapter 18. We'll pick it up in verse 15. In my Bible, bright red, red. I love that song, by the way, Matthew, you just taught us. Jesus is the center of it all. That's perfect. Well, red means he's going to be in the center of the teaching. No question. So all red today. Matthew chapter 18. You got a Bible up here? Pull out your uh, tablet. Let's go for it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go out and point out their fault just between the two of you. Ooh, there it is, the power of two. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Would you uh, scribble that down, please? The power of two just between the two of you. Don't you wish everybody in Facebook followed that rule? I mean, come on. What a, as that song goes, what a wonderful world this would be. No more cyberbullying, no more gossip mongering, no more anonymous character assassination. Instead, look, you got something on somebody, then you go to that somebody. You don't go to everybody. You don't post it for everybody. You go to that somebody all by your lonesome, and you have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation just between, quoting Jesus, just between the two of you. And by the way, just between the two of you means just between the two of you. One tiny bit of counsel, but how much bad blood in the world could be bled away if we kept our mouths shut and followed the golden rule? Tell me how you really feel, Dwight. The power of two. If your brother or sister sins, well, it must be, must, having, must be having to do with relationships within the community. If they listen to you, I like this, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Reminds me of that ancient proverb. Jot this down, will you? That old proverb that says, the best way to dispose of your enemies is to make friends with them. You don't like your enemy? Make a friend with your enemy. That'll take care of it. You've lost that enemy. All right, verse 16. But Jesus goes on. Look, just between the two of you, if that doesn't work, verse 16, but if they will not listen... Take one or two others along. Power of two. There it is again. Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two, power of two, two or three witnesses. Yeah, jot that down, will you please? Take one or two others along. Actually, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. There's some sage counsel in Deuteronomy. Let's put it on the screen where Christ got these words. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, Moses writing, One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. Keep reading. A matter must be established by the testimony, power of two, of two or three witnesses. Wow. So in his counsel about conflict management within the community of faith, Jesus commands us, look, if one-on-one if, if -on -one doesn't resolve the matter, take two or three others with you. After all, come on, let's be honest, there are two sides always to every disagreement, and both sides, Jesus is saying, need to have a fair hearing, so having extra sets of ears along will help. And by the way, when he says take somebody along, he's not talking about your closest friends and your dearest family. That wouldn't be fair. You need to take some, some, uh, some objective, some unbiased observers along. Two or three others, bring them with you. The purpose of Jesus' now two-step strategy 
is to win the heart. Come on, let's not forget this. It's to win the heart of the brother or sister who has clearly fallen or is mistaken or has sinned. But notice what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to keep this circle as small as possible. Just the two of you. We'll just keep it here. Nothing, nobody ever knows anything. That'll settle it. Well, if you have to bring a few more in, okay. Why? Because he wants to preserve the self-respect and the dignity of every man, woman, and child. That's the, God is big on preserving our self-respect. I like the way Desire of Ages puts it. You'll have to fill this in. Let's put it on the screen. While we seek to correct the errors of a brother or sister, I add, the Spirit of Christ will lead us to shield them as far as possible from the criticism of even their own spiritual family and how much more from the censure of the unbelieving world. Keep reading. We ourselves, write in that word ourselves because we're in this, folks. We ourselves are erring. We need Christ's pity and forgiveness. And just as we wish Him to deal with us, He bids us deal with one another. So Jesus has the company and lodging from just the two of you to three or four now are joining the conversation. But if that doesn't work, Jesus, look at verse 17. But if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And there's some people here who think that Jesus is instructing the church to pronounce Good riddance to bad rubbish. Adios. You're out of here. And that is totally, totally wrong. I mean, you think about it. Who are the pagans and tax collectors? Will you jot this down? Who are the pagans and tax collectors? They are those who are the very mission. They're the mission of the church. In fact, we didn't note this, but Jesus has just told the story about, you remember the shepherd that had 100 sheep and then one of the sheep gets lost? He's just told that parable. And then he has, in the parable, he has the shepherd going out for that one lost sheepy. And when the shepherd finds it, well, let's just pick it up here. When the shepherd finds it, verse, verse 15, and when he finds it, I truly, truly, I tell you, he is he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, verse 14, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish because somebody who has really gone sour and astray is no longer mature spiritually. He's just like a little one. You've got to treat him very carefully. Jesus' point couldn't be clearer. The man, the woman, the young adult, the teenager who thumbs his or her nose at the church says, you know what, I can't stand you and I never want to hang around the likes of you people ever again. Jesus is saying, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. That person is to become the compassionate object of the church. Treat him like a pagan or a tax collector. That means treat him like a lost sheep. With everything you have, all the love you can muster, go out and bring that person back. They're your new lost sheep. You don't cut them out. You don't spit them out. You win them back to me, Jesus says. Interestingly enough, let me share, let me share some st statistics with you. 15,000. According to census uh, surveys done in Berrien County, they say there are 15,000 men, women, and children who identify themselves as Adventists. I'm Seventh-day Adventist. Hey, come on. We've got 13 churches, churches in Berrien County. But even taking all of them together, you're not going to come anywhere near 15,000. That means there are people all around us who still consider themselves Adventists when they're asked the question. Isn't that something? What are we doing? Jot this down. What are we doing to reconnect with the lost sheep of our own family? That's capital F, by the way. Some of you here, as soon as I said this, some of you are saying, oh, yeah, 
You're thinking of him. You're thinking of her. You're thinking of a whole bunch of hymns and hers. That's a good thing. But what are you doing now to love the heart of that one back to Jesus in the center, as we just sang? You know what? What is so fascinating about Jesus' directive for conflict management is that tucked away inside of it is a stunning, stunning picture of the church. Take a look at this. By the way, remember this. It, Matthew is the only one in the four Gospels to even use the word church. No word church in Mark, no word church in Luke, no word church in John, only in Matthew, and he only uses it three times. One of the times is Matthew 16, verse 18, red letters as well, all three times with Jesus speaking. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. I'm the one. I own the church. I build the church. I die for the church. I love the church. It's my church. I will build my church. The other two times, you just read them. Right here in verse 17, it says church twice. But listen, don't be fooled by Matthew's three references to church because Matthew embraces a very high, and here's the word. We, we have to use this word because right next door to Pioneer is the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary. And in that building, they call it ecclesiology. That's the theology of the church. Matthew embraces a very high theology. How high? Take a look at this. Keep reading. Verse 18. Truly, I tell you, amen, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. <laughs> Did you catch that? Jesus is describing, and I want you to jot this down in advance of uh, coming to grips with this. Jesus is describing an astounding solidarity. Write that word in, please. An astounding solidarity between the church down here and heaven up there. Depending on how you translate the Greek, come on, it can go either way. It can be the church taking the action first, then heaven ratifies it, or it can be heaven taking the action first, and then the church ratifies it. But Jesus' stunning point, jot this down, his stunning point about solidarity that must not escape us is that whichever one acts first, the other follows. doesn't matter who goes first, the other follows. I mean, solidarity between heaven and the church on earth. That's the point. Really, come on, guys. The point is inescapable. The church is a very big deal to God. In fact, God is sold out, all caps, God is sold out on the church. David Watson, the Englishman, in his book, I Believe in the Church, observes, let me put these words on the screen for you here. This is David Watson. The existence of the Christian community of the church in its ideal form is the fullest... Wow, did you get that word? Fullest, the fullest revelation of God that the church can at present see. This is, this is it. It's the church. The biggest, the fullest picture of God on earth. Isn't that amazing? A hundred years before he wrote that, Ellen White made the same point. Let me put her words. little classic Acts of the Apostles on the screen. Enfeebled and defective as it may appear, the church is the one object upon which God bestows in a special sense his supreme regard. Hey, come on, guys. Supreme. What's higher than supreme? Do you have supremer and supremest? <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> That's top. You can't get higher than supreme. There is no higher regard that God places on anything on this planet more than the church. David Watson and Ellen White, I happen to agree with them both. I believe they're both right because isn't that Jesus' red-letter point right here in Matthew 18? 
It's no wonder that the New Testament, building on Christ's foundational teaching, this is one of his only teachings on the church, but the New Testament building on it, they come up with these, these, these stunning metaphors. Let me run them by you. They all begin with the letter B, so we'll just go boom, 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 boom. This is the metaphors in the New Testament for the church. Number one, the church is the bride of Christ, and Christ is the husband. There are the verses. You can check that out later. Number two, the church is the body of Christ with Christ as the head. There are the verses. You can check it out. Number three, the church is the building of Christ with Christ as the cornerstone. Check it out. Finally, number four, the church is the battalion or army of Christ with Christ as the captain. Check it out. Hey, now listen, here, here's why we're doing this. These metaphors are in front of us right now because there are some people, I know not you, but there are some people who say, hey, me, hey, you, me, I am sold out on Jesus, but I am not on the church. Are you serious? You're sold out on Jesus, but not the church? <laughs> that makes about as much logical sense as saying, girl, I love your head, but I can't stand your body. Spring is coming. Listen, buddy, let me just give you a little lesson. <laughs> Spring is coming. You love the head, you love the body, and the sooner you figure, out, figure that out, the better off you'll be with her. And the better off you'll be with him. Come on, think. You can't love the head. I am sold out on the head, but I have no time for the body. Listen to me Claire, carefully. If you have no time for the body, the truth is you have no time for the head. You're playing a game. You are playing a game. And the only one you're fooling is yourself. Please. Jot, jot this down. This is a little... Come on. This is a university uh, congregation. This is a little lesson in Anatomy 101. Jot this down right here. You can't be close to the head without being close to the body. Did you get that? You can't be close to the head without, without being close to the body. Zechariah 2.8, I love this verse. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Whoever touches you, Zion, touches the apple, Ooh, the apple of his eye. The church is the apple of God's eye. The church is the bride of his heart. The church is the body for his head. I mean, talking about solidarity, police. Jot it down. You cannot be close to Christ and far from his church. So all these people that go around and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm sold out on Jesus. I just can't stand the church. <laughs> you don't know Jesus because you can't stand his body. And that hurts the head. Wow. Now, look, 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 look. I know this all too well. You don't need to tell me. The church has messed up, and it has messed up royally at times. And by the way, you don't have to go all the way back to the dark and Middle Ages to find illustrations of that reality. The church has made some big mistakes today in the third millennium. You know why? Because I'm in it. That's why. And so are you, by the way. It's not an excuse, however. This is not an excuse for shoddy administration or unethical or in some cases, as the news has informed us, even immoral behavior on the part of those of us who lead the church and those of us who are the church. The church must own up to her failures. 
The church must admit her weaknesses, and she must, in the power of God's forgiving grace, seek to mend her ways. But remember this. That grace of God that is so amazing and precious to you, the, God's amazing grace, that grace is for the church as well. It's for the church. You've got you to cut the church some slack. The grace belongs to the church too because I'm in the church and I need that grace. Some of you were hurt by the church a long time ago or maybe not so long now. You were hurt. I know, I've talked to you. I have talked. I have heard again and again. And I need, to be, I need to say this publicly. I am sorry. The church, we did not treat you well. And we know it in our heart of hearts. We may not admit it to you, but we know it to ourselves. We did not treat you well. And so I need to say, will you please... Will you please forgive us? Please, forgive us. We are, we are a church of wounded healers. We're wounded ourselves, and we try to heal. And it's very possible that God bringing you back to the church because you've been so hurt, you have wandered away, you are no longer anywhere near the church. It may be that God needs to bring you back to the church for the healing to take place in our hearts. But here's my point. Don't please cut off your nose to spite your face. You're hurting yourself. Don't deny the solidarity with Christ that can only be experienced in the church. Let me prove it to you. It can only be experienced in the church. Do you remember Saul of Tarsus? You remember Saul of Tarsus, that, that wicked, that wicked man out to destroy men, women, and children of this fledgling New Acts church? You remember that? Jesus decides to meet him on that uh, fateful day, the road to Damascus. And when Jesus meets Saul of Tarsus, the first words out of Jesus' mouth are, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? What's the answer? Me. Me. He didn't say, why are you persecuting them? Why are you persecuting it, my church? No, you are persecuting me. The solidarity of Christ, the power of two, made one. Solidarity. You can't blow the church off. You can't just say it doesn't matter. No, it matters. If you love the head but hate the body, you don't love the head. You don't even know the head. You don't even know the head. So verse 19, Jesus finishes. Again, truly, I mean... I tell you that if two, oh, there you go again, power of two, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two, oh, power of two again, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them, end quote. <laughs> I told you, I, I, I knew we'd get to this text. I told you, there it is, it's proof. All I have to do is get, with a, get, to, get together with a few like-minded friends of mine and we'll call ourselves church and we are church and Jesus is with us. Wrong. Wrong. Don't be so quick. Do you suppose that this magisterial, this majestic teaching of the church found only here in the Gospels. Do you suppose Jesus just brushes, wipes it off the table by the final, by his last words? Impossible. 
impossible. That solidarity, is it gone? Are you kidding? In fact, if you could read the Greek, jot this down. If you could read the Greek, Matthew has Jesus saying this, jot it down. For where two or three are synagogued, he takes the noun for synagogue, which is the formal institutional organization of a community of faith. Where two or three of you are synagogued in my name, there I am with them. Amazing. You don't get that in English, do you? Matthew very carefully chooses his words of high ecclesiology. He is not declaring, listen, 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 listen. He is not declaring that any time a bunch of us join together in Christ's name, a church is suddenly formed and exists. Doesn't work that way. No way, Jose. Rather, and I want you to jot this down, by his intentional use of the verb form of synagogue, Matthew is describing the formal, organized, institutional church of the New Testament. And by the way, it's called the sisterhood of churches because they were all connected. They are all bound together. He is describing the formal, organized, institutional church of the New Testament that meets every seventh-day Sabbath with the appointed leaders and recognized members. Why do they meet? To one, worship God. Two, study his word. And three, carry out his mission on earth all week long. Listen carefully. He, Jesus is simply not teaching that wherever a couple of us get together, you've got the church. Now, I'm going to say something that when I said it in first church, this place went like silent as a tomb. Nobody moved. But I'm going to say it here. And I want you to hear my heart. I don't want you to hear my words. I want you to hear my heart because I haven't said a word about this. But people come to me all the time. Say, yo, do I? So if a church, if, if a group of people decides to cross town and, and form a church, does that count? Or what if they just cross the campus and form a church? Is that a church? People ask me that. I've kept quiet. Never heard me talk about it. But I can't, I can't, I can't get into this red letter, high ecclesiology, and not say something. You would say, Pastor, you have failed your role as a shepherd on this campus. And so I have to say something. Please hear my heart. Don't hear my words as much. Okay, so you want to you form a new group? Why not? Be my guest. What, what, what's up with this new, new group? Well, we just want to... Be our, do our own thing. We want to be among our own. We don't want to have to belong to anything. We just want to have this. No membership. No commitment, really. I mean, easy come, easy go. No sacrifice. No connection. We just want to have it. Is that church? How can it be? Hey, come on, come on. How can it be? That's no church. You can call it a glorified chapel with a bunch of extra special music thrown in. You can call it a dorm worship and uh, say it's rather long dorm worship, but that's what we're doing now. You can't call it church. It simply is not the definition of church. W what do you belong to? What do you belong to? Nothing. Nothing. You just go. When you get baptized, what do you get baptized into? Nothing. We, we go over to Pioneer. We get the certificates. Yeah, but do you come then? I mean, do you belong to something? No. We can call it whatever we want. We can call it worship fellowship. We can't call it church. 
Now think with me. Come on, you're saying, do I come on? Well, get, get off of this. Okay, so I will. But, but I want to ask you two questions. Number one, what happens, what happens when you don't like what you have now? You know, you just don't like it. I mean, you get tired of it because everything loses its luster after a while. The church has existed for 2,000 years, but, you know, it can happen. So what do you do then? You have only one option. You can start up something new all over again. Who are you going to use? Well, disgruntled, disconnected people. That's what we'll do. We'll just make a new community. Are you serious? And here's the other question. Here's the other question. What happens when you leave here? I need to tell you that there is nothing like that in the, in the world. When you leave here, the only thing you'll see for miles and miles is church, 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 church. And I'm telling you, grumpy churches, tiny churches, mad churches, happy churches, churches with children, churches with no children. But for the, as far as the eye can see, it's just church. What you had here does not exist out there. So what will be the natural inclination once you've had this? What do you join then? The answer is you join nothing. Why should I? There's nothing like what I had. I miss it. Guys, we got to think. That's why we're in university. Look, can't, can't a bunch of us get together in the name of Jesus and enjoy sweet fellowship? But of course, of course we can. That's a, that's a no-brainer. But it's not church. You can't just get a couple people huddled together and call it church. It just doesn't work. You see, the point is, I'll put this on the screen for you. We must not mistake fellowship for membership in the body and bride of Christ. That's the truth. You say, oh, Dwight, what's so big about membership? Well, I'll, I will repeat it again. The, the big deal about membership is there is no deeper solidarity with Christ than through His church. That's the big deal right there. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, right, you're doing this to me. Whatever we do to the church, whether it's good or bad, we do it to Christ. That's how solid the identification. Power of two. The power of Christ in His church. And so I say here at the end, it's because of that power of two that I am sold out like Jesus on the church. I'm sold out on being a member of the church. Wherever I go on this planet, I want to find a church nearby, and I want to become an active member. Do I have to do that, Dwight? No. You can do anything you want. I'm just telling you, if you want solidarity with Christ, you love the head, you got to love the body. You can't spite the body and love the head. It just doesn't work. It's illogical, and it won't pay off. And so what am I saying to you who are here for a few months and then you're gone? I'm saying take your church membership with you wherever you go. As soon as you get to that new town where you're going to work on your, your, your PhD or you're going to med school, as soon as you get to your new town where you're going to open up your new plumbing business, as soon as you get to your new town, find a church, the nearest church 
It won't be anything like you've seen here, there, or anywhere, but the church is waiting for you to drive into town because with your young, fresh perspective, the church can breathe again. She has hope that the next generation will buy into our little community of faith right here in this city. Go to New York. Go to New York. Go to Chicago. Go to L.A. Go to Bad Axe, Michigan. We got a church there, too. But join the church. That's the point. Don't write it off. I don't care what you do here while you're here. Don't write the church off, please. Because where two or three are synagogue together, where two or three are churched, that's what he's saying, where two or three are churched together, that's where I am. I don't care how small it is. I don't care how grumpy they are. That's my body. That's where you belong. And I'll be waiting for you there, Jesus is saying. I'll be waiting for you there when you pull into town. Our Connect card is in your worship bulletin today. I want to give you an invitation to respond to this teaching. Front side of the card, would you put your name and an email address or a cell phone number? Why? Because we... You're going to give an opportunity, perhaps, for somebody to be in touch with you in cyberspace. That's okay. Put your name and, and, and uh, email address on the front side. Turn the other card over. That's what we call the next step side. And there are three little boxes here. Box number one, I would like to join the church. Now, see, our, our ushers are all moving to the doors because they're going to receive this in just a split second. That's why they're moving. But you stay focused here, please. Number one, box number one, I would like to join the church. You may have gone all through your life, and there's no church on the planet that says, hey, she's a member here. He's, yeah, he's a part of us. You know what? You don't, have to go, you don't have to go another week. You don't have to go another month. If you've never joined a church, you've been baptized, but you've never joined a church, there's a little card right there in, uh, in, in, in your pew, but if you put it here, we'll make it even simpler for you. We will make sure that you join the church of your choice, the church of your choice. You choose. You're not saying I'll join Pioneer. I would like to join a church. Now, look, if you haven't been baptized, you haven't been baptized, that's what Saul saw. Remember Saul saw? The very first thing Saul saw did when he finally figured out he was persecuting Jesus, he got baptized. Three days later, he got baptized because that's what you do to join the church. That's what you do to join the body of Christ. It's through baptism that the body grows. So if you haven't been baptized, by putting a check mark there, we'll call you. We'll, we'll, we'll send an email to you. We'll do whatever it takes to help you. Nobody, there's no campaign going on here, but you can't come to an end of a teaching like this and not make some decision, please. Box number two, I will pray and reach out to someone I know who has left the church. You can think of somebody right now. Just put a check mark there with me. I can think of people. I'm going to pray for them. I have been. I invite you to do the same. And finally, box number three, I renew my commitment. Yo, I'm going to stay in the church. I renew my commitment to serve and support the church, to stand up and speak out for the church. I will do it. That's good for your soul. Just put a check mark there and turn it in in just a split second. And by the way, those of you who are watching right now on live streaming, you can get the same card, same card, watching on television, same card sitting right there on our website where you are, pmchurch.tv. Make the same choice. If you fill it out online and, and uh, it'll go through, we will take care of whatever needs to be done to put you in contact with a church. It's that important. If you love me, if you love, if you love me, you love my body. And by the way, you can call the toll-free number right now. You don't even have to go to our website. Here's the toll-free number, 877, and then the two words, His will. 877, His will. That's all you have to do. We'll take care of it from there.
God bless you. I want to pray with you. Let's pray. Dear Father, we needed to have this time just because it's red-letter time. And if Jesus teaches it, then we who sing with all our hearts, Jesus is the center of it all, we owe it to Him to give Him careful attention. And so we have. We've been into that teaching. Do whatever it takes, Father. You're sold out on the church. Turn my heart into a sold-out heart on the church as well. Turn all these hearts into sold-out for the church. Because when you're sold out for the church, you're sold out for Jesus. You're sold out for Jesus. He's the head. This is the body. Father, we are churches of all ages. It's not just a certain age group that goes somewhere. It's we're intergenerational. That cry reminds us that we are family. From the youngest to the oldest, we still keep our arms around each other, Jesus. Keep us family, and may we be sold out on you in the church you're sold out on. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.